0: I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn looking for
1: an angry fix. Drugged out debauchery, spiritual and sexual liberation, peppery poetry and prose. Rebelling against the conventions of mainstream American life, the Beat Generation would go on to lay the groundwork for the counterculture of the 1960s and 1970s. But before they were literary giants, the core writers of the Beat Generation were a small circle of madly rebellious, highly intelligent Columbia students and their friends. A brutal murder of one friend by another in Morningside Heights' own Riverside Park catalyzed their tortured soul narratives. As a first year at Columbia, Lucien Carr, a recent transfer from the University of Chicago, had quickly made a name for himself on campus. He was no stranger to attention, walking barefoot around campus, sporting torn and dirty clothing. Despite his tousled look, students were still charmed by his extraordinary beauty and sharp wit. It was in the Union Theological Seminary Dorm on West 122nd Street that Carr attracted Allen Ginsberg, a gawky scholarship student from New Jersey. When Carr started blasting Brahms, Ginsberg curiously knocked on his neighbor's door, and the two immediately hit it off. Soon after, Carr befriended Jack Kerouac after being introduced by Kerouac's girlfriend, Edie Parker, whom he met at a nighttime painting class. Later, Carr rekindled his relationship with William S. Burroughs, who, though 11 years his senior, had been an old acquaintance of his in his St. Louis hometown. Joyce Johnson, one of the only major beat writers still alive, is widely known for her memoir, Minor Characters. It documents her romantic relationship with Kerouac after Ginsburg set them up on a blind date and tells the story of the woman of the beat generation. She explains how Carr tied together the paths of the early beats.
2: Jack girlfriend was a woman named uh, Edie Parker. They were living together. In an apartment on 118th Street off M Avenue. And um, she was, she was sort of taking courses at Columbia. Um, she had an art class and Lucian was in the art class and she was, you know, kind of char- very charmed by him. And so through Edie, uh, Jack met Lucian. They had a, they met each other in the, in the West End. That was, that was an important spot for all these people. So soon they were very involved with him. And right down, you know, in the dorm that Lucian was living in, right, right down the hall was Allen Ginsberg. And, and Allen Ginsberg one night heard some music coming from, um, Lucian Carr's room and he went down, he went down to sort of, you know, check it out and, and see who was playing the and the music and then the, and they became friends and and then Lucian having met Jack uh you know sent Alan over to meet him, sent Alan over to Jack's apartment. And and it was because of Lucian that Burroughs became part of the scene. Lucian had met Burroughs in Saint Louis, uh where he came from. And uh Burroughs and Cameron were friends. At the time that it happened, Burroughs was living in an apartment in the Columbia neighborhood. So they all, they all happened to be there at the same time and their interests sort of
1: clicked. According to The Last Beat, a Columbia Magazine article by David J. Krajicek, Carr brought these three early beats together and served as a sort of leader, though each member developed unique relationships with one another. As Ginsburg put it, Lou was the glue, While Carr, Kerouac, Ginsberg, and Burroughs were the core four of the beat movement, there was also someone else in their orbit, David Kammerer. Kammerer, also from St. Louis, was a lifetime friend of Burroughs and Carr's former Boy Scout leader. A tall, red-headed former physical education teacher, Kammerer had long been infatuated with Carr, following him through a series of expulsions from Phillips Academy Andover to Bowdoin College to Chicago and ultimately to Columbia. It was a sweltering summer night, August 14, 1944. Kerouac and Carr were drinking at the West End, a popular bar and eatery where Hex and Company now stands. After a few drinks, Kerouac left for his girlfriend's apartment. While striding down College Walk toward Amsterdam Avenue, Kerouac ran into Kammerer, who asked about Carr. Kerouac pointed Kammerer to the West End. Kammerer chased down Carr, following him to the West End, where the two men shared a few drinks. After 2 a.m., they left for Riverside Park, relaxing on a secluded strip of grass nestled below West 115th Street, where few people ventured in those days. It was in this location that Kammerer allegedly propositioned Carr for sex. As Ginsberg conceived of the situation four months later in his journal, Kammerer gave Carr only two options. Choose to love me or to kill me. Anne Douglas, a Columbia professor renowned for her seminar, Modern American Literature, The Beat Generation, explains the progression of the night.
0: Carr was... Uh, 19 uh, Burroughs was 30 as was Camara was around Mm -hmm. the same age as Burroughs and they all three of them as you may know came from St. Louis Missouri Mm -hmm. and knew each other before they got here Uh, and Carr was of course a Columbia student, um, a sophomore and as he told Jack whom he went to after he had they um, left the West End and went down the 115th Street exit into the park, Riverside Park, and their um, car stabbed um, stabbed Cammerer repeatedly with his Boy Scout knife, which was doubly ironic since Cammerer had been the child, Billy really, Lucien Carr's Boy Scout master back in St. Louis, and that was how he'd formed this <clears throat> extreme attachment to him. So he was killing him with a Boy Scout knife that he'd gotten through the, <laughs> mm-hmm. the
1: Do you think there was any intentional symbolism, or was it just kind of a crazy oh, I, coincidence? I
0: that was just Lucien Carr's knife. And the next day, Jack and Lucien... Uh, threw it down a grate <clears throat> and because Kerouac had participated in that in fact I think it had been his idea you know uh, after he had stabbed Camera and then wrapped him in his clothing and weighted him with stones and rolled him into the river
2: <laughs> so <laughs> See, brutal I think
0: this would be quite a scandal uh, yeah. today <laughs>
1: But Carr's brutality may not have emerged so spontaneously. Douglas suggests that Carr's violence may have emerged out of pent-up sexual frustration, triggered by an unfulfilled desire to lose his virginity to his girlfriend, Saline Young.
0: Carr was, not amazingly, at 19, still a virgin. Um, and he wanted to sleep with her, but was very uneasy about it. Supposedly, the night of the murder he had, tried to sleep with her and according to Ginsburg it had been unsuccessful. He woke Jack up, I think Jack told Ginsburg and this is where Allen's agency came into the whole thing. By his own account, Alan found Lucian Carr and told him that that Celine had then slept with Henry King Who by this time was feeling enormously guilty that he had betrayed his friend (laughs) lucian uh as i say none of this seems impossible up to this point this kind of thing happened then and still happens i would suspect but it was um it was the wrong night obviously to tell lucian Carr that not only had he failed but that everyone knew it and what's worse selene had slept with someone else that very night in the same apartment. This seemed to make Lucian actually more inviting to Kemmerer. His friends noticed they were all at the West End. And Kemmerer had said on several occasions, if you don't want me, why do you keep me around? And that's what everyone noticed, mm-hmm. that Lucian Carr somewhere was proud of having this abjectly devoted, older very bright and in many ways attractive when i don't mean necessarily looking i Mm -hmm. just mean he was you know he was a real person who people liked and could relate to even to his mad obsession Mm -hmm. with lucien which seemed kind of romantic and doomed and made you think of rambaud and uh his older french poet lover and the sadomasochistic um, relations, all of this circle, in a way, had been um, dependent on acknowledging that they were homosexual, bisexual, all kinds of shadings.
1: Itching to report his action, but averse to the police, Carr rushed straight to the apartments of his trusted friends, first Burroughs, then Kerouac. Well, I disposed of the old man last night cracked car. Carr and Kerouac's harrowing night at the west end almost never came to be. The day before, the pair had planned to flee the Columbia scene, which they felt inhibited their spiritual growth. They had a secret plan to sail for Paris, even during its wartime madness, with the National Maritime Union. But they were thwarted by an enraged crew member who rightfully accused them of stealing food and ordered them ashore. Instead of tracing the steps of their idol Arthur Rambeau across France, they blazed their own trail through Columbia's campus, marching to Morningside Park to bury Cameron's eyeglasses. Though Burroughs insisted that Carr turn himself in, Carr and Kerouac first spent a day playing hooky from the dire consequences of the deed. First, they fed their spirits at the Museum of Modern Art, then their bellies at a Times Square hot dog cart. Then they stopped at a movie house to watch The Four Feathers, a war film about a young man accused of cowardice, compelled to redeem his honor. The symbolism could not have been lost on these men. Finally, listening to Burroughs' advice after a 12-hour hedonistic adventure, Carr walked into the district attorney's office and confessed. Still, officials questioned the scrawny student, doubting that the poetry lover could be a ruthless killer.
0: He walked in with a volume of Yeats tucked under his arm, which he studiously read, and he had blonde hair and green eyes, and um, he was very, very striking and the police at first wouldn't believe him. And he told them, you know, that the body would probably have moved downstream by now. And when they found the body, obviously, they knew that it was he. He pleaded defense against a homosexual attack.
1: Journalists concurred with the authorities, flabbergasted that this slender studious youth who is peacefully reading poetry, as the New York Times put it, might have been capable of a horrific homicide. Even Nicholas McD. McKnight, a dean of Columbia College, advocated for Carr's character, declaring him definitely a superior student, while Mark Van Doren and Lionel Trilling, the stars of Columbia's English department, corroborated as character witnesses. Meanwhile, members of the Columbia student body shuddered at the thought of one of their own peers being a killer. Reporting on this strange case, Spectator wrote that Columbia and Columbia College men knew Lucien Carr. He was one of us. Mystified by the complexity of the case and unable to conceive of a fellow Ivy League intellectual as a murderer, the article proclaims that the evidence derived from so strange a case will be immensely important that society will not be able to deny. The narrative of an Ivy League student attacked by a quote homosexual predator, unquote, carried on in the court as prosecutors offered a plea of manslaughter. Ultimately, Carr was charged with second degree murder. A psychiatrist deemed Carr unstable but not insane. Believing that Carr could be rehabilitated, prosecutors suggested he receive skilled psychiatric attention, prompting the judge to send Carr to a more refined reformatory than the anticipated prison.
0: Kerouac, as I said, was arrested too because he'd spent the subsequent hours of the night with Lucy and, and they'd gone to these movies together before going to Burroughs. Um, Burroughs never even went to jail because his well-to-do father came. Burroughs that was one thing he was never quite honest about, that yes, there was plenty of money in the Burroughs family, and although he didn't normally live on it in a crisis, it got him out. Uh, he acknowledged it indirectly. He said, you know, um, that his his beau ideal was the pig. Keep your snout in the trough. And he definitely had a trough. Anyway, so he didn't stay in jail at all. Lucien Carr was also from a wealthy St. Louis family. Um, He got bailed out, though he did do time in Elmira Penitentiary for several years. Um, And uh, Kerouac was the one who spent over a week in jail because his family had no money and his father was so upset and indignant that (laughs) Kerouac had been involved. You know, a nice Catholic kid from a French-Canadian respectable working-class family that he wouldn't have given them money if he did
1: have it." Since Kerouac's family refused to bail him out, his girlfriend Edie Parker tried to rescue him. But detectives refused, questioning the heterosexuality of all the men involved.
0: Edie, who was quite busty and very attractive, said, "'Do I look like a boy?'
1: <laughs> Ultimately, the judge agreed to let Edie bail him out as long as the couple married. So, with a whirlwind wedding, the two sealed the deal, having a short ceremony on August 22nd. Ginsburg avoided arrest, but not emotional distress. Both Douglas and Johnson view Ginsburg as the most negatively impacted by the murder, having developed close relationships with both Carr and Kammerer that may have included sexual experimentation. Ginsburg spent the next few weeks mourning the loss of his two beloved friends in his diary, drafting a suicide note not once, but twice. To my father, I leave my books and my desires. To my mother, my contempt and forgiveness. To my brother, my affection. To the world at large, my love. To certain individuals, I distribute variously my hatred. To all my friends, I present my rue and disgust. After 18 months behind bars, plus parole, Carr returned to New York, but not the beat scene. Instead, he began a lifelong career as a wire service newsman with the United Press, an occupational pivot away from his budding literary genius. For a while, Carr fell out of orbit with his old friends. However, in later years, Carr seemed to reconnect with his old pals, maintaining a correspondence now housed in Columbia's rare book and manuscript library. Between intimate confessions and snappy wisecracks, Kerouac and Ginsberg made sure to check in on their old friend, sending postcards from their world travels. "'Write me a letter for Christmas. I think of you often as forever.'" Signed off Ginsburg from Paris.
0: "'Dear Lou, just love tap, old boy.'"
1: Wrote Kerouac between his adventures on the road, signing off as Jackie Boo. However, the ravishing car they maintained as their muse buried his boyish beauty behind a full beard, funny haircut, and thick glasses. He distanced himself from his beat associations, fearing that he might violate his parole if pulled into their world of recklessness. Later he wished to completely scrub away the beat associations from his biography and with them his own murderous history. He even demanded that Ginsburg remove his name from the dedication of an early draft of Howell.
0: He was an alcoholic but he was a functioning one. He worked as a journalist for the AP and very strikingly he was no longer beautiful. It was though Joyce said he willed himself to um you know, his eyes didn't seem green anymore, he cut his hair, it looked darker. It was though he'd you know, he adopted a disguise within his own body. And Joyce could never see the Lucian car that Alan and Jack talked about because he um because he had he had gone into hiding in respectability. He made Ginsburg promise never to reveal that there was a possibility of homosexual
2: relations implicit in this murder. He married a woman whose whose father was I think a big executive of the New York Times. And and Lucian had a career in journalism uh, he he worked um he worked at the night desk either the ap or the up or up uh and you know just worked there for years um you know but but Alan, you know they had all believed that you know lucian was going to write great books he was a very angry guy i found him a little scary he wanted to present himself to the world as a you know is a straight guy. It was, it was a difficult time for people who were gay. You know, a lot of people sort of remained in the closet or got married. Tremendous amount of prejudice.
1: Although Ginsberg and Kerouac occasionally gave up globetrotting to explore Carr's rather stagnant worlds at the United Press headquarters, Carr's colleagues reported that he rarely talked about his old beat associations. The brilliant young Columbia Bard had become a tough and low-key editor with a tendency to pen tear-jerkers. When UPI moved its headquarters from New York to Washington, D.C. in 1982, Carr traded his Soho apartment for a boat anchored in the Potomac River. In 2005, he died of complications from bone cancer. Carr's former UPI colleague, Wilborn Hampton, aptly memorialized his friend in a Times obituary, calling Carr, the former free-thinking Columbia freshman, a literary lion who never roared. Despite never having a prolific literary career of his own, Carr's legacy as the uniter of kindred spirits and the inspiration for some of the greatest American literature cannot be denied, though Columbia has refrained from celebrating its history as the birthplace of the Beats.
0: The Beat Generation started in the worst scandal that Columbia has ever known, as far as its students were concerned, and one that they have never wanted any reminders of, leading them to ignore even the revenue that they could get from holding, let's say, a Jack Kerouac festival or a Beat Generation festival. The tradition at Columbia has remained an underground Mm
1: -hmm. tradition
0: um, because of the murder and because of the gender ambiguities. And the, you know, you didn't want columbia to be a place where gay disturbed young boys wanted to go to school i mean it's it's not unnatural at all of columbia but it is strange because they don't have two authors two other authors
1: as well known still it's important to examine columbia's history as a place where beat narratives came to life douglas sees carr's case as an essential part of understanding the beat generation
0: it tells you that at the heart of every narrative is something untellable. And you could say, well, that's true of all narrative. But not all narrative is really based on that. So the sense of a mystery that's sexual, that's intellectual, and that everybody there was reading and talking and, you know, thinking, pondering, Um, probably more than their more uh, square contemporaries at Columbia Um, and it was violence and violence would continue to mark the beat generation one just can't pretend that it didn't